Tuesday midday on the Rural Radio Network, off and running. I'm Dirk Christensen, and we have all kinds of information coming up for you here today. It is just chock full. I'm talking off uh, off the air with Susan Littlefield here in the Ag Department, and well, I'll tell you what, you have really uh, got a lot of information up here to get through today. Oh, there's plenty to happen, of course. The excitement on the livestock side of it, and by the way, good morning to everybody, is that they have withdrawn from the controversial GYPSA rule. We're talking the Trump administration. We'll get more from Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue coming up over the noon hour. At 1219, Dewey's going to have the folks of Water Street Solutions talking about farm books. Uh, Congressman Dr. Roger Marshall is going to join me at 1245 as we talk immigration and what he sees that needs to be done. He actually had an open editorial in The Hill, that is a Washington, D.C. area newspaper where he talks about immigration and what he sees in rural Kansas and the effects there. Then up at 117, Shaley is going to have Megan Rolfe, Kansas State University, discussing a project she's working on that looks at whether or not water intake in beef cattle is genetically controlled or not. So DNA technology in beef cattle, a seminar that was held yesterday in Place Center, Nebraska. So that's kind of the happenings of the midday for the farm crew. I just want to uh, stop for just a second here, and that uh, what uh, Congressman Marshall has to say dovetails right in with a special program we're putting together. Uh, we uh, quarterly put together a special program called the Rural Radio Forum, and this uh, upcoming in November, our November 7th edition of that program will be on immigration, so we'll be listening with great interest with that. And I also want to introduce that Bob Brogan, We'll be co-hosting that. Bob, thanks for stepping up and, uh, and getting with that. And we're going to send you over to Chris and those new studios in Lincoln to do that. Looking forward to it. Should be fun. And uh, thank you for talking with uh, Roger Marshall there, Susan. That's great information. No problem. He is a great person to talk to. And he, he really is, has a good understanding of what's happening in rural America because he knows immigration effects. So many businesses in his in his area that he covers. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's skip on over to sports here, and I've got that. Uh, they finally got an air conditioner in here, and it's blowing right straight at Jason Jorgensen, as you can hear. Yeah, how's that sounding? I'm, I'm thinking, right. yeah, it sounds like the station jet has been uh, warming up behind you to whisk you off somewhere to do some play-by-play. Well, you have to do what you have to do, Dirk. <laughs> Hey, coming up in sports, uh, more reaction on Bill Moose being named the new director of athletics at the University of Nebraska. Uh, his former football coach, Mike Leach, was asked about Moose yesterday, and he weighed in. And, you know, Mike, he can say some off-the-wall things, but he is a straight shooter, and he thinks a lot of Bill Moose. So we will let you hear about that. Also, big day for baseball. Couple of games. Game four of that New York Houston series is set for this afternoon, and then tonight it's game three in Chicago as the Cubs try to get back into it as they battle the Dodgers. So, all of that and a whole lot more coming up in sports. All right. Well, you, you greet the crew on that jet there and uh, make sure that they get you there on time. Let's go over to. <laughs> you don't want me helping out on a flight. Wouldn't it be great if we had a station jet? I mean, let's. let's it would now, being involved in the MIAA. Bob, what do you have for us in business? Then we'd have to have a runway. <laughs> so that would be extra things. Well, uh, industrial production up in September. Stocks are mixed right now. And also some results of how much impact the eclipse had on Nebraska financially. Really? All right. We'll look forward to it. It's all coming up for you today on Midday. 
Paul Perkins slips in to talk about our ag weather and just isn't much change. We could put you on a kind of <laughs> just a rotation here with the same forecast for the couple of days. Yeah, in the next several days, uh, nice and mild and dry, ideal conditions for getting that harvest uh, caught up across the area. And looks like long-term prospects looking pretty good, too, right now. How do you like the cool breeze on you over there? Yeah, it's much better. A little more <laughs> suitable conditions. It's really not, not yeah. the usual sweat box that we've been enduring the last several days. I want to thank our friends who are putting in our HVAC system here for providing some air conditioning here today. Yeah. We have, uh, of course, for audio purposes, dubbed <laughs> the station Jet. Uh, here's Paul Perkins brought to you by Coleman Repair. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize how hot it does get in this control room without air conditioning, even in the coldest of winter days. They, back in 93, they had the big ice storm, mm-hmm. and power was knocked out to the station, but they did have, of course, enough power to run the control room. The rest of the building freezing cold, but it was all hot and nice steamy and in the right control here. room. <laughs> That's right. So here we go. No one's hot under the collar today here in the control room. All righty. Today going to be unseasonably mild thanks to some light south winds. Half a week low pressure dropped to our west. So quieter winds for today. Fire weather concerns a little bit elevated in west central Nebraska to the west of Highway 61 where the winds will be slightly stronger. Those light south winds tonight will prevent the temperatures from cooling off a whole lot. Winds will turn to the north tomorrow but remain fairly light as that trough of low pressure tracks on towards the east and we get on the back side of it. A ridge of high pressure building east and remains in place all the way through Friday. That's going to result in temperatures underneath that ridge about 10 to 15 degrees warmer than normal for this time of year. Friday looks to be our warmest day. That's when some western locations could warm into the low 80s and winds will become strong as the cold front starts to approach. We will see some gusty winds with that cold front over the weekend. Some gusty winds out of the north and it will cool our temperatures just slightly back to slightly warmer than normal conditions for this time of year. In central Nebraska, we're usually seeing highs this time of year in the low 60s. We'll still be above that just slightly for the weekend. We could see some rain and thunderstorms, but right now it's looking more and more likely a line will form from Iowa into central Kansas as that cold front moves through on Saturday. For the long-term forecast, temperatures in Nebraska and Kansas forecast to be warmer than normal Sunday through October 30th. Ideal conditions for harvest, and that does also include a high likelihood of below normal rainfall in Nebraska and Kansas Sunday through the 30th. Overall, October is shaping up to be a pretty good towards the tail end here. Weather factors driving the market include drier conditions for helping harvest in the Midwest and a continued dry trend this week in central Brazil. Conditions for harvest are improving in the Midwest with a forecast going for a drier trend the next several days. A few showers this weekend may cause some delays, but it is overall good news since the U.S. corn harvest is just 28% complete. That is 19 percentage points behind the five-year average. Additional dry and mild conditions in the northern plains helping out with their harvest progress. The Delta and Southeast also look to be dry and mild all this week for their harvest and also some additional field work. Across the southern plains, some dry and open conditions this week will favor the winter wheat planting. That favorable pattern needed in Kansas, where winter wheat is just 42% planted. That is 33 percentage points behind the average. Only 25% of the wheat in Kansas has emerged, and that compares to the average of 46% that's usually emerged by now. Central Brazil's hot and dry conditions bear some watching. Some replanting of soybeans may be necessary there because of the drying soils and the increased stress to the already planted soybeans. And it's going to be a pretty warm one in parts of our listening area today. 
Yeah, already 72 in portions of the Sandhill. Stedford is 72. It's 73 right now in Holyoke and northeast Colorado and 70 at Colby, Kansas. And a lot of us already into the low and mid-60s. Very nice. By the end of the week, we could probably see some 80s across parts of both Nebraska and Kansas. And the uh, Ag Weather Course brought to you by Coolman Repair with Paul Perkins. And when you need weather anytime, krbn.com. been withdrawn. Shaylee Peters joining you now here on the Rural Radio Network as we take a check of Ag News. The Trump administration today announced it will withdraw regulations related to the buying and selling of livestock. Susan Littlefield has more. Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue decided not to move forward with the final rule of the so-called Farmer Fair Practice Rules, which was written in 2016 by the USDA's Grain Inspection, Packers and Stockyards Administration. The agency also announced it will take no further action on a proposed regulation on the Farmer Fair Practice Rules. I want to assure you that USDA and JIPSA uh, remain committed to fair trade practices and financial integrity and competitive markets. I think the the concern was is that this uh, rule as proposed would lead to unnecessary and unproductive uh, litigation in many ways. We believe that the initial Packers and Stockyards Act indicated that it should be uh, helping in facilitating competition, not necessarily uh, one-on-one litigation. And I think uh, the courts have affirmed that. I think Congress uh, has declined to intervene in any of that. So uh, my goal at this point is to make sure to the industry both those in the production side and those in the buying and the and the and processing side, that we uh, abide by the USDA motto, and that's do right and feed everyone. USDA in 2010 proposed several PSA provisions, collectively known as the GYPSA rule, that Congress mandated in the 2008 Farm Bill. Although lawmakers did not include a provision eliminating the need to provide a competitive injury to win a lawsuit, the agency included one in its proposed regulations. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Also coming out in support of this ruling today was the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Colin Woodall, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association Senior Vice President of Government Affairs, said this is a victory for America's cattle and beef producers, and it's a victory for America's consumers. Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue deserves a great deal of thanks and credit for this smart decision. The proposed rule would have crippled cattle producers' ability to market their products through the value-added programs that help make American produced beef the most delicious and nutritious in the world. This is a decision worthy of celebrating this evening with a top quality steak. National Pork Producers Council also applauded the withdrawal of GYPSA rules. MPPC President Ken Mashaw said eliminating the need to prove injury to competition would have prompted an explosion in PSA lawsuits by turning every contract dispute into a federal case subject to triple damages. The inevitable costs associated with that and the legal uncertainty it would have created likely would have caused further vertical integration of our industry and driven packers to own more of their own hogs. More on that story and reaction can be found at ruralradio.com. And in other ag news today, the National Pork Board has named Craig Morris as its new Vice President of International Marketing. Morris is currently the Deputy Administrator over the Livestock, Poultry, and Seed Program of the Agricultural Marketing Service at the U.S. Department of Agriculture, a position he's held since 2004. For the past 25 years, Morris has held high-profile strategic leadership roles with the federal government. 
And he says he's honored to join the pork community in this new important role, which he sees as a perfect complement to his time at the USDA. I have been fortunate to serve the livestock industry for my entire career, and I look forward to pouring that passion into developing a strategy to market U.S. pork products abroad, working to deliver increased value for America's pork producers. And that's a quick check of your ag news here at Midday. I'm Shaley Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. How to beat your farm's best. That's our topic with Tim Burhill, Ag Finance Advisor, Water Street Solutions. If you may recall, we started talking about this topic last week. Tim, let's continue. Yes, last week we started talking about how this is important to know whether you're on track to beat your best as a farmer and really continue to improve. But I'm not just talking and thinking about typical areas that come to mind right away, like raising yields that are the highest, selling the crop at the highest price, and lowering input costs, or even working for a lower tax bill. Farmers have to stay competitive, just like athletes, as I mentioned last week. To be truly competitive in today's farming environment, you need to be thinking beyond the usual goals I mentioned above. You're going to need the right numbers, too, the right metrics around your farm's efficiency to know the trajectory you're currently on. But these metrics aren't being tracked by your cash accounting bookkeeper or your tax advisor. Also, the solution here isn't to track every possible metric. It's easy to get bombarded with data while knowing you can't possibly use it all. It isn't about tracking more metrics or data. It's really figuring out what's most worthwhile to look at and to help me make future decisions. Today we talk with Tim Burhill of Water Street Solutions. How can we figure out what to focus on, Tim? Well, think of it in a way of an athlete and their coach and how they use statistics around the athlete's performance to help the athlete get better. Nearly everything about the professional athlete's performance is tracked, and that's a lot of data. For instance, in pro basketball, not only would the number of points they score in each quarter be tracked, but uh, where they took a shot from, whether it was a free throw, a three-pointer, a regular basket, percentage of shots taken versus made, and that's just a small percentage of it. When the player and coach are putting together a training plan to help the athlete improve, looking at all the data at once, that's not useful. Instead, they might first figure out what their ultimate goal is for that player's performance, select a few stats to track, and then determine over time as they're tracking that whether he's improving or not. Knowing the end game or end goal before selecting particular metrics is likely the most important step. Tim, how does this work on the farm? We have to start with a lot of clarity around the ultimate goal for the farm's performance. Generally, for farm businesses, the goal is for the farm to be financially successful and profitable. Confusion can arise when we start focusing on metrics that by themselves won't necessarily help us win to our ultimate goal. For example, concentrating on getting the highest yield or highest price alone doesn't equate to financial success for the farm. In fact, there may be cases where it's more profitable to shoot for a lower yield. This may mean challenging your agronomist about next year's crop plan in certain ways, but make sure that you're reaching your farm's best efficiency from a financial perspective is part of that conversation. Get clear on what your ultimate goal is for the farm and then determine specific metrics that will let you monitor your trajectory towards the goal of beating your best. Consider getting a coach to help with this, like an advisor for the farm can help you weigh out your goals and which metrics can be the most important so you can monitor and watch your progress. You can get in touch with our advisors here at Water Street if you'd like to get started doing this. Thanks, Tim. 
If you'd like more information about this or any other topic, go to waterstreet.org or call 866-249-2528. Again, go to waterstreet.org or call 866-249-2528. Today we've discussed how to beat your farm's best with Tim Burhill, Ag Finance Advisor, Water Street Solutions. You're listening to the Midday Program of the Rural Radio Network. Let's check sports now with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, Nebraska's new AD, Bill Moose, received quite the compliment yesterday from Washington State head football coach Mike Leach. At Leach's weekly press conference, he was asked about losing his boss to the Huskers. You know, and in the course of this business, and some of them, you know, some of them everything from active to retired to dead, you know, I've, uh, Bill's the best AD I've ever even met. Moose hired Leach at Washington State after Leach had run into issues at Texas Tech. Now, Moose is scheduled to start his new job in Lincoln on Monday. He will receive a payment of $1.2 million if he's still Nebraska's athletic director at the end of 2022. And he's eligible for $500,000 in bonuses each year if the Huskers teams achieve certain academic and on-the-field performance thresholds. Moose's starting annual salary is $1 million. His contract calls for him to earn up to $1.2 million by 2022. Kyle Hendricks is set to pitch for the Cubs, who are trying to overcome a 2-0 deficit against the Dodgers in the National League Championship Series. Hendricks finished the regular season with a 2.19 ERA over his final 13 starts and opened up the playoffs with seven scoreless innings against the Nationals. Game time tonight is set for 8.08 local time. Game four of the New York versus Houston series is set for later on this afternoon. Houston leads that series two games to one. First pitch is set for 4.08 Central. Green Bay Packers are bracing for the very real possibility of playing the rest of the year without quarterback Aaron Rodgers. Coach Mike McCarthy says Rodgers will have surgery on his broken right collarbone and that his season could be over. The team has no immediate plans to bring in a new quarterback, which means Brett Huntley will be the starter and Joe Callahan will serve as a backup. And stop me if you've heard this story before. Tiger Woods apparently is a step closer to returning to competition. His agent says the former world number one golfer has been cleared by doctors to practice without limitations. Mark Steinberg says Woods received a good report from doctors who performed fusion surgery on his lower back in the spring. Steinberg says Woods plans to take it cautiously and added they haven't discussed playing any tournaments yet. Woods has not played since withdrawing from the Dubai Desert Classic last February. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Clear skies tonight in Nebraska. Lows in the 40s. I'm Dave Schroeder. Two juveniles from eastern Nebraska are in custody and face felony charges in the theft of a one-ton pickup that the Dawson County Sheriff's Office reported as stolen early this morning near Kozat. The vehicle had a very large gooseneck trailer attached and numerous chemicals and tools on the trailer. Lincoln County Sheriff's deputies located the vehicle just west of a truck stop on State Farm Road south of North Platte. At that time, North Platte police were responding to the truck stop on a hit-and-run report, and it was later discovered the missing vehicle was responsible for it. The stolen vehicle fled from the sheriff's deputies towards West Walker Road, Deputies pursued the vehicle into a feedlot. The occupants jumped out and ran into the South Platte River bottom. An extensive search began with the assistance of Nebraska State Patrol Ground and Air Wing Division. Eventually, deputies and troopers located the suspects hiding in an elevated enclosed deer stand. 
Initially, the suspects refused to come down from the stand. They were eventually pulled from the stand and arrested. Two juveniles were transported to the Lincoln County Detention Center and incarcerated on numerous felony charges. The Lincoln City Council has voted to remove drivers for ride-hailing companies from city requirements that taxi drivers must meet. The council voted 5-1 to one to remove Uber, Lyft, and other ride-hailing company drivers from city oversight. The city will continue to do background checks on taxi drivers, require physicals, and test the driver's knowledge of Lincoln. The State Public Service Commission requires ride-sharing companies to do background checks on their drivers. The commission audits those companies. Police Chief Jeff Blymeister had supported removing ride-hailing company drivers from city oversight, citing the cost of doing background checks on hundreds of drivers. Taxi company owners wanted the city to continue to do background checks on their drivers and wanted the same rules for ride-hailing company drivers. Authorities have arrested a man and found three sisters whose disappearance in August from their Kansas foster home touched off a larger debate about runaway foster children. Tonganoxie Kansas Police Chief Jeffrey Brando says police in Kansas City, Missouri arrested the 48-year-old man early today hours after identifying him as a person of interest and saying the 12, 14, and 15-year-old girls would be in danger if they were with him. Replay the game, the interview, or feature you missed by catching a podcast right from the front page of krvn.com. In the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. It doesn't matter if you're on Capitol Hill or in rural America. Immigration has been talked about. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Congressman Dr. Roger Marshall did an open editorial to the Hill on immigration. Now, the congressman from Kansas discussed the need for bipartisan solutions to the nation's immigration problem. Sure. Well, Susan, thanks. Thanks for giving me a chance to talk about it. I think, first of all, it just really gets home with me. Um, Over the past 25 years in Great Bend, Kansas, I've delivered about 5,000 babies. And a lot of these, probably half my patients in the last several years were, were immigrants. And the babies I delivered, delivered, their brothers and sisters, were what the people call as dreamers now. The, the kids that were brought here, maybe they were five or six or seven. So that's all kind of coming to a head for one reason or another. And these are the, and a lot of these dreamers are the friends, the classmates of my children. I raised, my wife and I have a daughter and three boys. Uh, you know, the football team, they're in the band, they go to our church. These are kids that I've grown to love and, and like. So I think that's one part of the equation. And then from a more practical standpoint on the economic side of things, we have 20,000 open jobs in Kansas. Uh, I was talking with Dr. Ben Carson a, a month or so ago, and he said there's 6 million open jobs across the country right now, jobs that we just don't have enough workers to fill. And, you know, a lot of these jobs could be filled by immigrants. So, uh, you know, that's, that's the connection there, is we need more workers in Kansas, especially in agriculture, uh, to help stabilize our economy. You know, and it amazes me, Congressman, how many misnomers are out there when somebody sees somebody and thinks, oh, so you're an immigrant, and they, they start to question, when in reality they need to find out and talk and get that conversation going and find out about the person that they're 
maybe just judging the book by its cover. Yeah, it is, it is, it is very sad. You know, I think probably 80% of the undocumented immigrants now came here legally, and they didn't go back to Mexico, wherever they didn't go back to, because there was no jobs, because there was a drug war. The people that came here were looking for a better life. They were looking for the American dream, hoping for a pathway to get uh, a, a legal status. And we've, we've let them down. We've let them down. We've, the system is broken, and we need to get it fixed. Things like the H-2A visa, I know there's, there's been a lot of talk of, of wor- reworking that and revamping it. It, it. it kind of works, but the, you know, the problem with the H-2As is it's more seasonal. And what agriculture in Kansas needs is year-round workers. These cows have to be milked two or three times a day, 365 days a year. Uh, the cattle have to be fed two or three times a day, 365 days a year. Most of the agriculture, I would say all the agriculture in Kansas, is not seasonal. So we're looking for a simpler work visa program. And, you know, I'm very much a person of solutions. And I'm excited that Chairman Goodlip in the Judiciary uh, Committee has an H2C visa program out there that they're looking at. And we hope to start marking it up soon and think that it'll solve a lot of our problems. What can some things that your constituents and then just other folks who maybe aren't in your district can do to help get the point across to Washington, D.C. about the importance of the work that you guys are doing and immigration? I think it starts with contacting their own congressmen and women on both the House and the Senate side. I think there's a lot of momentum on the House of Representatives, and it seems like you know we passed great legislation. We repealed Dodd-Frank, but the Senate just looks at it. So we need uh, the Senate to pick it up. So I would encourage people, uh, especially from agriculture states, to call their senators and say, this is a problem and this is a concern. And we have real jobs for these people. We have open jobs that have been open for months, if not years, and we need to address this problem. What type of reaction are you getting from other congressmen in regards to the work that you guys are doing? It's pretty exciting. When I came to Congress in January... I couldn't say the, the I word, the immigration word, without getting dirty looks from people. Basically, this concept of, oh, my gosh, we don't want to go there. It's politically risky. Uh, I might, someone may not like it, so let's just, well, let's just stay here in the middle and not even talk about it. But I think largely due to President Trump securing the border, that, that, that this country now believes that we can actually secure the border and do immigration reform at the same time. So I'm so grateful that uh, the president has been true to his word. He's securing the border, and now we're having great discussions. Is there anything else you would like to add, Congressman? No, I, I think there's there's two issues right now that are that are important to take care of. It. And one is um, the H2C visa, which would be an agriculture uh, work immigration solution, a, a pathway, a, uh, a way to have a simple work visa program. And the other thing we need to figure out is what do we do with these uh, kids that were brought here, uh, and, and now they have no legal status at all. So we need to figure out what the right thing to do is with them as well. We need to show some compassion. And gosh, if they've got a job, if they're in the military, if they're in college, and, and you know, these are kids that want to work. They want the, this American dream. And make sure that you join us on November 7th from 3 to 4 p.m. Central Time as a rural radio forum on rural immigration. We'll be talked about live from Innovation Campus in Lincoln. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Next, we talk with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe, or big sell-off at the end of these livestock futures.
yes, sir. Uh, look like uh, uh, some liquidation taking place, particularly in the cattle. Uh, for I think a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, uh, cash trade uh, really hasn't developed yet. The cutouts were lower at noon, and you have a cattle on feed report, and the estimates that came out today uh, uh, are suggesting uh, heavy placements and uh, uh, more cattle on feed. So. Uh, I think that uh, scared a few out, uh, particularly because of the uh, premiums that the uh, futures are carrying. So uh, that uh, put uh, notice, I think, uh, of a little bit more defensive action into the close. Uh, and probably uh, is going to remain that way uh, until we get the cash trade uh, developed. Over in the uh, hogs, uh, cash doing a little bit better today once again cutouts uh, off a little bit at noon uh and uh watching the cattle uh well the hogs were were pretty uh, much defensive uh, right from the start uh but it accelerated into the close and i think just taking some of the premium out uh you know uh, we were still ahead of the index even though the index has been uh, doing very well so uh it looked like uh, uh some uh, long liquidation today in both cattle and the hog market. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Reach him at 800-328-0134. Total cattle slaughter, first two days this week, estimated at 227,000, 6,000 less than last week. Hog slaughter, 901,000, 25,000 less than the first two days of last week. Dewey Nelson reporting. joining you back here on the Rural Radio Network. And I visit today here with Megan Roth from K-State University. And Megan, you recently spoke at the DNA and Technology in Beef Cattle seminar hosted by the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. But you talked about something that I thought was kind of interesting. You've got a project going on right now that looks at whether or not water intake is genetically controlled. So I'll let you do the talking. Go into what exactly you're doing with this project and what you're looking at. So we sort of started the discussion with some information that has been well established in the literature. So we've looked at water intake um, since the 1950s and, and potentially before that. But around about that time, they were doing research on cattle that were housed individually so that they could collect feed and water intake data. Since then, there's some really good research that looks at sort of estimating how much water cattle are drinking based on environmental parameters in large groups of animals. What we haven't seen as much of, because we didn't have the technology to measure it, was sort of the variability in water intake among individual animals. So we now have the technology to measure that on large numbers of animals in systems where we measure things like feed intake. Sometimes when you get into genetics talks, it's, it's really detailed. And, but when you bring this back and what all of this research is for, when you bring this back to the producers and how it's going to affect their herd, why is this important? Obviously, water intake is important, but why is it important when it's related to genetics? Yeah, water intake is a, is a really interesting trait in my opinion because it's something that's sort of easy to forget about because we often think of water as, as plentiful and freely available, but we have a lot of differences in water quality between different locations and we can have differences in availability as well when we think about drought or the amount of rainfall that we get in a region. And when we start to think about 
these types of issues across the entire beef industry, we start to think about the tools we can use to help manage these types of things within the environment. And one of those is potentially selection for water intake. So, so the topic we're, we're researching at the moment is trying to sort of quantify how much water individual animals are drinking and how much variability there is in those measures, and then being able to tie that to different performance measures in cattle. So based on research and literature, we think that it's, we know that it's related to dry matter intake or the amount of, of feed animals are eating, and it's obviously related to the temperature and environmental conditions. But water also has an impact on things like heat stress, because when animals don't have plentiful access to water, they can have trouble regulating body temperature, which can, which can cause heat stress and in turn lower levels of production in cattle. So talk about a little bit your timeline here, what you have left, and then what your goals are as you continue to work through this and get some of those results. Yeah, so we've been working on collecting data for about three and a half years. We still have a little less than a year left to go. So one of the things that we talked about today was the amount of time we actually need to have those animals in an intake facility in order to collect good water intake data. And the good news is that at least with our preliminary analysis, it looks like um, that it'll be about the same amount of time that we need to collect feed intake records. So the great thing about that is if that's if that holds true across um, large studies with larger numbers of animals in the future and in other locations, what that will mean is that we can basically get an additional phenotype in same, while we're collecting dry matter intake on animals. So it's sort of a, a bonus phenotype, provided that the facility has the capability to, to measure that. All right, thanks for the information. Megan Wolf with K-State University. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shane Peters. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. We might have had a little bit of harvest pressure today now that weather is uh, getting more and more conducive for a vast majority of the corn and soybean belt. Let's talk more with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. What did you think about today's trade? Well, I saw another slow one. Um, you know, did see a little bit of pullback there in the beans, but actually saw a lot of different advisors out there and did see more than one uh, buy recommendation come out by a couple of different guys. And I, I certainly understand there's there's a lot of upside here if commodities want to go, and that would be kind of the talk of late. Not so much about grain fundamentals is pushing price, but some of these outside factors like inflation and, uh, you know, just global demand, global growth, emerging markets, all those things have been positive really the last couple of months, and we haven't seen a lot of love uh, given to the commodity markets. We've seen it in livestock, seen it in energy, but we haven't seen it in the grains. And I think just kind of getting through this initial harvest surge is probably what the market's been waiting for. And, in fact, we actually saw bull spreads work today in corn for the first time in a while. We got above 45 cents on the carry. Uh, you know, if you've listened to this uh, this time period the last couple of weeks, I've been mentioning this widespread between December 17 and December 18, trying to encourage folks to get their hedges back in the December con- uh, December 18 contracts. I think that front month could actually perform relative to December, and we're starting to see that. And I think that's good news towards uh, some sort of bottom that I, I think a lot of folks want to call here. What about marketing in that soybean uh, trade? Well, I'm getting a lot of interest in reowning. And I think there's, you know, for what I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of upside available in soybeans here. Technically, the chart doesn't look very good. We've got a little bit of a rollover there. November delivery right upon us as well. Maybe not a very bullish factor, but I think beans represent... Uh, you know, this kind of beacon of hope, so to speak, for the for the row crop markets that doesn't really exist in wheat or corn, where you know you catch a right move or you catch China in the right mood, uh, 
you know, this market could, could easily rally 50, 60, 70 cents even. And, um, you know, looking at those deferred contracts, uh, we still haven't seen the squeeze there, but I, I wouldn't be shocked to see some sort of problem develop over the next two, three months that create a, you know, a push on that July contract out to, say, you know, 1075, 1080. And the outside markets didn't help today, did they? No, not a lot. I mean, I think the, like I said, the flat price was down, but, you know, a lot of it, in my opinion, is, is going to be relativity. And I think, you know, getting these front prices from front price markets to move higher, I think, is only a key to the deferreds. I don't see November or December 18 having a lot of upside, though. So if you're going to buy something, I think buying shorter term, you know, possibly looking to get uh, some re-ownership done through December uh, on a break here would be a good idea. All right. Thanks. Talk to him tomorrow again, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network.